Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Afternoon and welcome to City of Life. I'm Pastor Amy. My husband and I have the wonderful privilege of being the senior pastors here. And I'm very excited I get to share in this summer flick series where we're just using movies to be the backdrop for what we're going to learn about some things in the Bible. And today, obviously, is The Little Mermaid is our theme. And so I don't really have to explain to you the plot line of The Little Mermaid, but I do need to explain how I'm going to make it biblical. (laughs) So we have Ariel, Princess Ariel, who by all, you know, ways of looking at her life, you would say she has everything. She even insinuates that other people say she has everything. She has the adoration of her father. She's talented. She's beautiful. She's royalty. She has who's it's and what's it's galore. But what does she want? She wants more. So even Ariel, with everything that she had, she was discontent. She wanted more. And I know you could argue and say, but it's a love story. And she was just willing to sacrifice to make sure that she got the love of her life. Well, we don't know that maybe there could have been a better way for Ariel to go about it. Maybe a little less destructive, maybe a little less traumatic, almost having to sacrifice her father or her, uh, the Murr people, is that what you call them? the mer people we don't know but what we do know is that ariel was willing to do whatever it took sacrifice anything for that fulfillment that she thought was going to bring everything into completion in her life she wanted more she was discontent so today that's what we're going to talk about and paul tells us in philippians 4:12 He tells us something really important. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret. Everyone say secret. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. For I can do everything God God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. So today we are going to learn the secret to contentment. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this time together already. I've just sensed your presence here in such a beautiful and tangible way, God. I thank you that every time we come into the house of the Lord with expectancy, you always meet us right where we are. Lord, I thank you for each person here, God, each person watching online, that their lives would be open to the encouragement of the Holy Spirit through this time together in the Word that we would just allow ourselves to be challenged and changed and molded in to your image and likeness in a greater way. Teach us today. Use me as a vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I think contentment 
is a misunderstood topic to a lot of people. I think it is something that we often struggle with, understanding how it applies to our life or how we demonstrate it in our life. Well, even Paul himself, when he's uh, writing this verse, he's writing to the Philippian church. And we know that he is writing from prison. And he's explaining to them that he has figured something out, that he wants to make sure that they learn. He says, I have learned the secret. One version says, I've learned the mystery. So something that's a secret or a mystery has to be sought out. Am I right? It's something that has to be discovered. And Paul is telling the Philippian church and he's telling us, he's like, hey, there's a way of living the Christian life that is ideal. There is a way to walk out this Christian life that has power and it is what we are called to do. And that's to be content. He's saying, this is a secret I've discovered. I'm going to teach you how to do it. I think we often misinterpret contentment as having, uh, waiting for our life to be perfect. And then I'll be content. If my life looks a certain way, is a certain way, has a few fundamental things that I think will bring me joy and happiness, then I can be content. Or the flip side, I'll just fake it that I have a perfect life and therefore everyone around me will perceive that I'm content and somehow God will get glory for it. But that's not true contentment. And that can cause so much misery in our lives if we think that that is what true contentment is. It's not about your life being perfect. It's about no matter what circumstance you're facing, having contentment. Contentment is, this is a definition I just felt like the Lord gave me. It's not from the dictionary. Is this bothering anyone? It's crooked. Is it straight now? Okay. Contentment is being fully satisfied in our soul. Being fully satisfied in our soul. Contentment is coming to a state of being that is independent of external circumstances. A state of being. That kind of indicates to me that you're someone who is pretty solid. That's someone who is unwavering. That's someone who is content in any circumstance because they're disconnected from it. Their emotions and their well-being is not connected to external circumstances. That's what true contentment is. It's being unmoved by external situations and circumstances because of the soul satisfaction within us. Our contentment is important to the Lord. So I have a question for you today. Are you content? Are you content? 
I think that's a really important question to ask yourself. Because Paul's saying, hey, there's a better way to live. And it's through contentment. So we have to ask ourselves and examine ourselves to see if we really truly are content. And I think this is a really great way to examine is to ask yourself what the answer of this statement would be in your life. Everything would be okay if blank. Could you answer that just in your own mind today? Maybe you already, you instantly had the answer. Everything would be okay if blank. I think the answer to that statement tells us a lot about ourselves. I think it tells us a lot about our perspective. I think it tells us a lot about our focus. It tells us a lot about what we desire. Everything would be okay if blank. Some answers could be, I'll just help you if you couldn't think of anything because you're so content, good for you. Some answers could be, everything would be okay if I was married. Any single people in the house? Okay, got some confident ones, her hands in there. And then the married people, everything would be okay if, it's not what you think. It's not what I put in my notes. <laughs> everything would be okay if my spouse treated me better if they talked to me a certain way, if they took me out more often, everything would be okay if I got paid more, I got that promotion, I got that bigger house, I got that nicer car, or maybe on a deeper level, everything would be okay if Jude wasn't sick. Everything would be okay if I hadn't lost that person I love so much, if they hadn't left me, if I didn't struggle with depression, if I didn't have anxiety, are you content today? Because the answer to that statement for Paul was very different than maybe most of our answers. Paul was saying, I'm in prison but I'm content. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to have lack. I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to be on the mountaintop or in the valley, but I know how to be content. So today, are you content? See, it's not wrong to want those things, to be married, to have healing, to have abundance, to have provision, it is not wrong to want those things, but it's wrong to not be content if you don't have them. If you don't have them. See, Paul is letting us know there is a way to live from a place of strength in Jesus that is the way that we are called to live as Christians. See, most of us are miserable if we are honest because we are looking to something, something external that could never give you what you're actually looking for. 
happiness that seems so fleeting, that peace that seems so far away, if we're putting our focus on the external and we think that external things are going to fill that void, we are sadly mistaken. That void and that longing can only be fulfilled by Jesus and Jesus alone. So Paul from jail, he's saying, hey, it is about your attitude in your circumstance that determines your ability to be content. See, if you think the only way to be happy or content is when everything feels good or is exactly the way you want it to be, you are in for a rough ride. Because I don't know about you, but everything is not perfect in my life. Everything is not exactly the way that if I had control, that I would have it be. I have things in my life that I wish desperately I could change. But that's not the point of contentment. It's in spite of those things. I still choose to focus on what is important. And I choose contentment. Philippians 4, 9 really sets up this verse where Paul is explaining the secret that we're all wanting to learn from him, the secret that he's revealing to us. And he sets it up in Philippians 4, 9. He says, keep putting into practice, everyone say practice, keep putting into practice all you learned from me and saw me doing. How confidently Paul is like, hey, I'm a good Christian. <laughs> He's like, hey, do the things that you have seen me do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Emulate the things that I do because it works. And he's saying, do the things I do continually. He's saying, practice it. And the God of peace will be with you. If you want the God of peace with you, Paul is saying, practice and do the things that I do. Practice. It takes work and repetition. See, contentment is not a learned is not a disposition. It is a learned behavior. There are not just people that are just naturally more content than others. It's not about a glass is half full kind of mentality. It's not about being a morning person. Thank God, because I am not a morning person. It is not about someone who is just go, going through life and they just have naturally a more joyful disposition. It is something that is a learned behavior. It takes practice. Paul tells us contentment takes practice. So he figured something out and he's teaching them what he has discovered. He's saying, hey, I have these skills that he had put into practice day after day, month after month, in every season, in every situation, and he realized his life was better because of it. It takes practice. If you know me, 
you know that, first of all, our family loves football. It's the best sport ever. See, yes. However, there's another sport that has slowly, lately crept up to a very close second to football, and it is the fastest growing sport in American history, I think, and that is pickleball. Listen, I've got some pickleball fans, hey. Okay, all the memes are true. It's addicting, it is, it consumes my every thought. It is something that I want to be good at so desperately bad. I have really cute clothes, but not a really good backswing. But inevitably, when you pick up a new sport, or actually, not just a sport, when you start researching things on the internet and you start buying cute clothes or shoes or a new paddle or whatever it is in your life, you and I both know, I don't know if it's the government or just Instagram, but somebody's listening. <laughs> and inevitably, every single suggested for you video is going to be about pickleball or whatever it is that you've been into or obsessing over. So for me, it just happens to be pickleball videos. All of these awesome players that they've got their third shot drop down. Only true pickleball players know what that is. You can discover it one day. You can watch all of these videos on how these um, partners in doubles, they have these, this awesome communication. They know which one's supposed to move to the kitchen line sooner than the other one, which one's supposed to be on the right, which one's supposed to be on the left, or you know, having patience while dinking. It's a real word. It's a real word. Even though when I wrote it in my notes, it underlined it in red. My program needs to get with the picture because it's a real word now. But having patience and playing it correctly. You know, I could sit for hours and watch all of these videos, all of this instruction, read about it, buy all the equipment, but until I get out on the court and actually execute some of these things, I'm just... A spectator. I'm not really implementing anything that's making me better until I practice, until I put in the work. What Paul is saying is it's one thing to talk about contentment. It's another thing to just read about it. But what he is telling us to do is you literally have to work at it. It doesn't come natural. In fact, it's probably opposite of what your human nature wants. Our human nature wants our needs met and we want it met now. We want it instantly. We want things in our control. But Paul is saying, hey, there's a better way. And it takes practice. It takes decision-making day in and day out. I love this. Uh, Joyce Meyer actually said this. She said, wishing is useless. Just well, scrolling through 
looking at everyone else and their ability is just kind of wishing, oh, I wish I played like that. Oh, I wish I had that. Wishing is useless because there's no chapter in the Bible about wishing. Lazy people wish, but determined people work. Paul's saying, it's gonna take practice, but if you're determined to be a mature Christian, if you're determined to live out the full measure of what God has called you to be and in the abundant life that he has called you to have, you have to work at it. It's gonna take some ability and work. So we're gonna look at, I have three points today, and we're gonna look at what contentment is by discovering and, and talking about what contentment is not, okay? Go with me. Number one, contentment is not found in what I have. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Great wealth. The Bible doesn't just use words like wealth flippantly. This verse is literally telling us, if you choose to be godly, you choose to follow his commands, you follow after Jesus, and you couple that with a content life, you've got everything you need. One version says it's of great gain. It means that you are adding to your life, not subtracting. The message version says a devout life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Since we entered the world penniless, we're gonna leave it penniless. If we have bread on the table and shoes on our feet, that is enough. And you know what? That verse isn't just for Americans, right? We live in a very blessed nation. But this verse, it, it, it speaks to any tribe anywhere, any people group anywhere, no matter what they have or maybe lack. He's saying, if you have godliness and contentment, if you have bread on the table and shoes on your feet, that's enough. God is the provider of everything that we need. See, it's not found in what we have. If you focus on what you have, wait, put focus on what you have and not on what you don't have. Not on what you don't have. If you don't have something, it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? So I lived in the Philippines for a year. I moved there in 1999. And I went there for Bible school, and I lived with a pastor's family that I barely knew. They were gracious enough to let me uh, stay in a room that they had, and I went to Bible school. And their house was lovely, but their house, it was in the Philippines. It's different than here in America. First of all, 
the Philippines is the hottest place on earth. I'll just tell you right now. I haven't been to many countries, but I will just say it's so hot. And it's so humid, so humid. Like, guys, have you ever been to Gatorland in July? Like, seriously, what is it about the foliage that just, it just intensifies the heat. It intensifies that humidity. It's that times a thousand all day, every day in the Philippines. They do not have winter. They have one season hot. That's it. <laughs> and they don't have central AC, just so you know. They have what they call aircon. And aircon is only allowed to be turned on at night. You open the windows during the day so that your hair never dries. That's what it, it literally would smell like mildew. I know that's disgusting, but it's just facts. It's just facts. So in the Philippines, every couple of days to have fresh water, there was a water truck that would come and it would put uh, gallons of water in this metal container that's attached to the outside of the house that supplies all of the water through all the pipes to the whole house. But guys, this water, have you heard of the cold plunge? Isn't that what it's called? You know, everyone's doing it. They're buying little you know, tubs to do it in and all this stuff. Everyone's saying it's so good for your health, so good for your nervous system. So guys, I did the cold plunge before the cold plunge was cool. Every day of my life in the Philippines, it, the water, Listen, it literally would take my breath away. It was so cold. And you, you just did what you needed to do and you got out of that shower so fast. The irony though is it would actually get hot around like three o'clock in the afternoon when you wanted a cold shower. I was like, thanks, nice timing. So there was no way around it. But you know, if I would have complained about how cold my showers were, to the people I was friends with and in community with, I would have sounded so rude because some of those people didn't even have running water. Some of those people didn't have fresh water. It puts it in perspective what you actually have when you focus on it and you don't think about what you don't have being grateful, having gratitude for what you do have. Gratitude, okay. Gratitude turns what we have into more than enough. I mean, when you don't have something, it puts it into perspective. I mean, when's the last time you guys looked at your roll of toilet paper and you're like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. But you did in 2020. We all did, but easily you can take it for granted again. Easily you can forget what a luxury it actually is. Gratitude takes what you have and makes it more than enough. See, wanting things or desiring, it's not wrong, but desire without control is wrong and it is coveting. See, we need desire, we need dreams, 
We need to keep pushing our goals and be motivated to do things in a bigger and better way, want more things. That's not wrong. But when it's not under control, when it leads your life, when it leads your emotional state, that's when it is lack of contentment and that is, what it, is when it's wrong. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. This is talking about being grateful and praising God for what you have. And it increases what you already have in your, in your life. So number two, contentment is not found in comparing myself with others. Second Corinthians 10, 12 says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Paul is teaching us a secret to being wise and comparing yourself with someone else. This verse is telling us it's foolish. It's foolishness. Comparison causes stress. It robs you of joy and it denies our uniqueness that is handcrafted by God. Your unique qualities that he has picked out and crafted within you, when you compare it to other people, it cheapens what the master has made. There's a verse in, it's Proverbs 1430, it says envy, whining, complaining, and being discontent will rot your bones. See, you need healthy, strong bones to be stable, to have strength, to grow, to mature. But brittle bones, they're weak. And they're easily influenced. Any weight put on them, any pressure put on them can break them. So if you're answering, if you're content today, you have to ask yourself, when pressure is on, do I waver? Am I weakened? Or do I allow the strength of God to be what carries me through, what allows me to hold the weight and still move forward. Envy rots the bones. We can be so easily influenced by other people's lives. I mean, honestly, do you guys actually remember when Instagram was just a picture sharing app? 
It's so much more complicated now. I remember my very first Instagram post. It was of homemade cinnamon rolls with the Nashville filter. Just the pan, just the rolls, Nashville filter. That was the first and last time I ever made cinnamon rolls. <laughs> homemade cinnamon rolls. The Pillsbury ones, I got you all day. Actually, Trader Joe's, guys, legit, they're so good. But Instagram used to be just this simple app that you were just sharing cute pictures of your kids, fun pictures of, you know, family outings or whatever. Now, the executives got together and they figured out, hey, that little square that everyone looks at all day, every day, obsessing over everyone else's life, we can capitalize on that. Because they understood our nature that we so easily get entrapped by comparing ourselves that it's not just good enough that we see what other people have or uh, what their life looks like. Now it's one click away to make sure that we get it too, that we can buy it too. Do you know that Instagram is one of the top shopping apps in the world, only rivaled by Amazon? I think that's interesting that you can literally look at someone's life and say, ooh, I want that too. And you think the lie is that your life will be happier, more fulfilled, more content. See, I think it's really dangerous to compare ourselves with other people. It's the notion that everyone else's life looks so happy and complete because they have a life you don't have, or they have something that you don't have, a marriage you don't have, a house that's better, a job that pays more, a metabolism you don't have, hello. It appears as if they have kids that listen to them no matter what, clothes from every designer. They look content, they look happy, therefore I need what they have. And that's a dangerous way to live. The Bible says it rots your life. It deteriorates who you are in Christ. See, I'm afraid that there are some people in here today that are on the verge of sabotaging your own life because you have this preconceived notion that if this marriage isn't working, you just need a new one. Or if this job isn't fulfilling, you just need a new one. Let me stop you in your tracks and say, hey, that's not the answer. It's about finding contentment. Do you know that over, if a poll was taken recently, and it says that over 70% of people are unhappy with their job. You know what that tells me? Most of us are unhappy with our job. But can I tell you something? You applied for that job at some point for some reason. Something about it appealed to you. It might be the most base level thing, but something appealed to you. By the way, you married that person for a reason. Something about that relationship appealed to you. Something about it and that person you loved 
and appreciated. And isn't it ironic that some of the very things that you initially were drawn to, towards become the very things that you end up resenting if you're not careful? So what we have to do in order to be content is to not focus on, it's not just about not focusing on what you do have, like we discussed before, but now part of the secret is focusing on what you do like about your life. What do you like about your job? There's gotta be something. If 70% of us are miserable in the job, is the answer always just find another job? Isn't that a fleeting way to live? It's not practical either. Or find another spouse. Maybe you're putting too much focus on the negative and not enough focus on what you actually like about that person, about your home, about your children, about your, your job, whatever it might be. I love this, 1 Timothy 6, 17. It says, as for, I'm actually missing my last page of notes. <laughs> Y'all can get the ones that, point number three. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you know God wants us to enjoy our lives, not just endure it? So when we choose, contentment is choosing to have joy. Enjoy the things that He's given you. Enjoy the car that he's given you to drive. You have one. Enjoy the job that you get to go to every day. You have one. Enjoy the marriage that you have. You have one. Enjoy your singleness. Paul says it's the preferred way to live. It's a great season that you could be in. Thank you. And number three. Contentment is not found in what happens to me. It is not found in what happens to me. See, we have two choices in every situation or every negative circumstance. You can either choose to resent it or to be content in it. See, Paul, in Philippians 4.10, it's so interesting. He's talking to the Philippian church. Remember, he's in prison. And he's talking to this group of people who have been his supporters in the past. He's talking to this group of people because obviously, if you're writing from prison, you're probably writing to people who mean something to you. And he's saying in this verse, he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that now, at last, you have renewed your concern for me. Do you, I think that's kind of sarcastic. Paul's like, 
hey, thanks guys for remembering me, finally. He's literally saying, thanks for now remembering me at last. And you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned about me before, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's like giving them an excuse almost. He's like, I know, I know. You meant well. And you were going to send aid my way. You were going to send word that you were thinking about me. You just didn't have time. So even Paul, in this verse, he's admitting that he has had questions and doubts. In in this little passage, he's admitting, hey guys, I've really struggled feeling unseen. Hey guys, I've really struggled in a dark season and felt like no one was there for me. I'm glad you're here now, but you don't even know how rough it's actually been. He had a choice. He could have gotten bitter and resented them or actually be content and say, hey, but you're here now. You're remembering me now. I'm grateful for you now. I don't know this person's password or face ID. (laughs) It's not in what happens to you. You know what's interesting is in sports, we hear this term a lot that I don't know if coaches are just making an excuse, but they say, we're in a rebuilding season. Have you ever heard that before? We're in a re- the Cowboys have been in a rebuilding season for quite some time. <laughs> Since 95, that's the last Super Bowl. Yeah, we were dating, that's weird. Okay, it's just been a long time. That's all I meant, not weird. Okay. I, lo- I wanted to read this. I thought it was an interesting way to explain a rebuilding season when it comes to a sports team. It says, huh. It's admitting we suck right now, but we're trying to get better. It's a season, oh, it says, typically teams enter a rebuilding season following a losing season. It's like their excuse. That was a losing season, but now we're in a rebuilding season. Or after a string of losing seasons. You know, Paul understood something that gave him contentment, that he's trying to make sure that we understand today. And it's really important that we go back to our verse in Philippians 4.12, because there's a key word that I think if we miss it or we read over it too quickly, it actually might be the very secret he's talking about. It might be the very mystery he has figured out. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want, in every situation. The preposition there is very important. It's critical, in fact, to the interpretation of what Paul is saying. He is not saying 
I am content with every situation. He's saying I'm content in this situation. He's not saying I'm content with prison. He's saying I'm content while I'm here. But he understood what Ecclesiastes tells us is that life is seasonal. You might be in a rebuilding season. You might have had a losing season previously. You might have had a string of losing seasons. Your team might suck. Your situation might be awful. But Paul isn't saying, I'm content with prison. I'm content with this season. He's saying, I'm content in it because I understand there's another season coming. I understand this isn't the sum total of everything I'll ever experience. I understand that in the diagnosis, in the treatment, I understand that there is a season that will come with a healing. In the disappointment, in the hurt, I understand there is a season that will come with the miracle, with the confidence and the healing that I need emotionally. Paul understood life is seasonal and that's how he could be content in the season he was in. Somebody say, I'm in a rebuilding season. That's a good thing. That means you're strategizing for the future. That means that you're hearing from the Holy Spirit and you're saying, hey, I'm gonna approach this next season completely different. Maybe today is revelation for somebody that you have had lack of contentment and it has robbed you long enough. It's made you frustrated at every turn. It's maybe made you miss out on winning seasons, but you can have victory when you understand that it's not being content with your situation. You're just in it and you're going to move on to the next thing. You're going to move on because God is going to see you through the season. He's gonna see you through to the next season. See what I love? This is literally, literally, one of the misquoted verses of the whole Bible. Sports teams quote it. It's on the back of jerseys. It's on Tebow's face. It's on, you name it. It's plastered everywhere having to do with making a basket, scoring a goal, is Philippians 4.13. You know what I'm talking about? Here, here's how it's used. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. That, therefore, that means I'm an, going to be an incredible athlete. Therefore, that means I'm going to have a win at every turn. Hold on, let's put it in context. Philippians 4.13 is right after Philippians 4.12, our text scripture today. Paul's saying, here's the secret to an abundant life. 
is to be content. And here is how you have it. It says, for I can do, listen to this version. It says, for I can do everything God has asked me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and the power. What has He asked us to do? Be content. He's asked us to be content. It's right after that verse. And He's saying, and how do we do it? By the strength and the power of Christ. By the, by the strength that Christ can give us to be content. Christ's power working through me is what gives me the strength to be content in every season, in every situation. He's going to see you through to the next season. Looking horizontally for external things to fill that void, it doesn't work. It only comes from looking vertically. And the answer is found in Jesus. The answer can only be found for that void, that missing piece, that lack of contentment can only be fulfilled in Christ and Christ alone. I would love to pray for you today. Would you just bow your heads all over? I don't know about you, but this message from the moment I started studying, it really challenged me. My family has been in a very difficult season, but I wanna learn from Paul the secret he is talking about and to be content. I challenge you today, let the Holy Spirit show you areas of discontentment right now. Areas that are deteriorating from the abundance and the beauty and the joy that God has for you. Lord, I just thank you for each person here today, each person watching online. I thank you for this challenge today. I thank you for revealing by the Holy Spirit what true contentment really is and how we can have it. We have it because of the strength that comes from Jesus. Jesus, take over. I thank you for each person that we would just be obedient to allow you to be the authority of our lives. Allow you to help us see things in a different way. That we would understand that God, you are moving, you are working, and that good things are ahead in the next season. If it's not in this season, it's in the next one. Because that's what your promise is, is that you will always take care of us. That you will always turn any situation around for our good. And we just thank you for that confidence today, that renewed hope, God. In Jesus' name, and still with every head bowed, I don't wanna miss an opportunity that that verse in Philippians 4.13 is telling us that strength in this life and power to live this life in a, new way, in a new way can only come from a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have been looking everywhere. Maybe you've been looking externally in other relationships, substances, 
distractions, whatever it might be to try to fill that void, but that it can only be filled by a relationship with Jesus. And all that takes is to put your faith in Him to have that relationship. And if that's you and you would like prayer today, I wanna give you this opportunity. No one's looking around, just really quick. Would you just acknowledge that? Just say, Pastor Amy, would you pray for me today? I need Jesus, I need His strength. I need, amen, hands everywhere. I need the life that only He can give me. It's a life of strength and abundance today. Hands are up in every section. Church family, would you pray this along with those who lifted their hands? Say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I know that you love me and you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and be risen again for my salvation. Jesus, you're the answer I've been looking for. You're the healer. You're the provider. I put my faith in you today. I wanna walk this relationship out. I need your strength. I need your power in my life. And I choose today to not be resentful, but to be content. From this day forward, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.